Well, I am glad that you guys are here today. I thought it might be Todd and myself and the band and four of our closest friends. Um, but the sleep-in service did not let us down. And the, you guys do know it's 90 degrees outside, right? You know that? that but you're still here. I, I, you're a whole other level of holy. That's what I'm going to talk about. So I'm glad that you guys are here with me today. Um, we're going to open the Word of God. So if you've got a Bible or an app or your outline, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm standing in a coffee line on Monday afternoon, and I asked the guy behind me, back to my old tricks again, I said, so uh, if, if you answer a question, I'll buy your coffee. And he looked at me and kind of smiled and shrugged his shoulders, said, sure. And my question was this, can you tell me the story of David and Goliath? And he said, sure. And he nailed it. Nailed the story from beginning to end. He knew all of the details. He knew what a Philistine was. He knew what a lion, the lion, the bear, the giant, the escalation as it was going through. I mean, he just understood the whole story. And the cool thing was we had three or four people standing in line and other people were like throwing in little bits of trivia. Everybody in line knew the story and it was awesome. So we got to the very end of it. And as we were wrapping up our conversation, I just said, you know, you know your Bible stories really well. I'm impressed. And that's when his face changed. He said, that story's from the Bible. I said, yeah. He goes, I, I thought it was just a kid's story that somebody made up. And I'm just like, no, it actually comes from the Bible. And so then I got curious and I'm like, where did you learn this? And he said, Sunday morning cartoons. So I went and checked it out. Hanna-Barbera years ago, the same people who made Looney Tunes, created a series of Bible cartoons that were shown on Sunday mornings, usually around nine o'clock. And yet there's no mention of the fact that they're actually from Scripture. So I want you to know today, we're going to be talking about a story, the story of David and Goliath. It's more than a story. It, it was, it's more than something that somebody just made up. It's, it's more than something that just is told so that children can go to bed easy, which is interesting to me because if you read the actual account, it's probably not something you should tell your kids before they go to sleep. And, uh, and I want you to know it's a factual account of history and faith and God's help. So let me give you the backstory, even though I wish my friend was here from the coffee shop because he probably would have done a better job, okay? 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 1 and 2 tell us that the Israelites have been invaded, okay? They've been invaded by a seafaring and a warring nation known as the Philistines. 1 Samuel 17 at the beginning says that the Philistines were actually in Judah. They were in Israel, and the Philistines, if you need a picture of them, they're like early Vikings, okay? Not the Western Washington University variety of Viking, not the purple Vikings from Minnesota. We're talking the pillage and plunder kind of Viking, okay? The Philistines invaded, and the Israelites set up a line of defense on a battleground. And the battleground is in this valley between two hills, okay? Here's an actual picture of the Valley of Elah where this story actually happens, so in your imagination, I want you to picture that far hill completely covered in Philistine warriors. And then on this side, I want you to, to picture this entire side of the valley covered in the Israeli army of the time. And every day, this is what would happen. The Philistine warriors would send a champion to this, this flat piece of ground in between, and he would talk smack about the God of Israel. Actual location, you're looking at it right now. So the Philistine champion would come down and challenge the Israelites to send out a champion of their own. This was just common war practice back in this particular time in history. The Philistine champion is a, Goliath, is a man by the name of Goliath. Here's what you need to know about him. Goliath is a Philistine with a big spear, a big body, and a big mouth. Okay, that's what you need to know. Goliath stands over nine feet tall. Okay, that shack 
plus 24 more inches, okay? That's Pastor Todd with 30 more inches on top. He's a gigantic human being. His spear and his shield are huge. He's a giant of a man. And every day he comes out and badmouths the God of the Israelites, calls them cowards, and begs for them to send somebody to come and fight. Like, you, know, you call yourself warriors. Let's see whether or not you can fight or not. And this is where the hero of our story enters. While Goliath is a bad-mouthing Philistine, David is an Israelite shepherd boy with a sling, a calling, and God. That's what he's got going for him. David's working with sheep. That's his job. Earlier in his lifetime, uh, a prophet of God shows up, pours oil on the top of David's head, and says, you're actually going to become the future king of Israel. But in the meantime, back to the sheep. So that's what David does. He looks after sheep. That's his job. He protects his sheep. The Bible tells us that at one point in, in David's tenure as a shepherd, a lion comes and tries to steal some of his sheep, and he chases and kills the lion tells another time of, of the fact that a bear comes out and does exactly the same thing, tries to steal David's sheep. And so David kills the bear. So he's a warrior. He's, he's a man's man. What's also interesting is the Bible tells us that David played a harp and sang. So he's an artistic big game hunter. You put that together in your own mind. I can't explain it to you, okay? David's sent to take food to his brothers who are serving in the Israelite army, and he gets a front row seat to Goliath talking smack about his God and his family. And he asks what I would consider to be a fairly typical question. Why didn't somebody do something about that giant? Like, why didn't somebody go and fight the guy? Like, just somebody, anybody. And I'm sure he got the same response that we would have gotten. I'm not going to fight him. You go fight him. If you're so tough, grab a hold of whatever you need to. Here's a sword. You know, we'll help volunteer you. David actually does. He volunteers to fight Goliath. He goes and tells the current king of Israel, a man by the name of Saul, that he's going to fight him. What follows next is actually kind of, it's the comedic relief in the midst of the story. Because Saul says, okay, if you're going to go fight him, which I'm really glad that somebody's finally going to go fight him. If you go fight him, you're going to need some armor. So here, wear mine. Well, you can imagine, David's a little guy. Saul's a big guy. He puts him inside of the armor and he can't move. And David knows this, okay? At some point when you're fighting a giant, mobility is key, okay? Being able to run is important. If they just roll you out in your armor and plop you in a spot and you can't move, that's not good for you, okay? So he's like, I can't wear this stuff. David decides to go with what he knows. So he takes a sling and five stones, okay? The sling is this. It's two long pieces of leather with a small pouch on the end of it. Israeli shepherds still use these to this day. And he'd drop a rock in the pouch, sling it around the top of his head, and then let it fly. And they, with amazing accuracy, that's how they defend their flocks. They also use a rod and a staff. And if you're familiar with Psalm 23, now you know where it came from, okay? So here he is, going out to face Goliath. And the Bible says this is what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. Okay, I don't think he despised him because he's a good-looking guy. I think he despised him because he was small. Okay, just to be clear there. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. 
David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that this is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. That is big talk for a small man, is it not? I mean, David knows how to talk smack too. Basically says, you think you're tough? You're not that tough, because I'm not coming against you in my own strength. I'm coming against you in the name of the God who's, who's the God over all of the Israelite army. You want to fight? Let's fight. He's either... A man of faith, or he's an idiot. One of those two things. The Bible tells us what happened. David goes out with his sling, drops a rock in the pouch, swings it around his head, lets it fly, and God guides the stone so that it hits Goliath right between the eyes. The Bible says that the stone actually sinks into his forehead. He drops to the ground And it all gets a restricted rating from that point on, and you should be careful to share the end of that story with your children, okay? Unless you want to freak them out at night, okay? But we go home, listening to that story, going, that's awesome. Little David beats big Goliath. And it's no wonder. We turn on the television set, Sports Center. Last night I heard it. Some athlete in the Olympics that wasn't expected to win anything takes out a former world champion, and this is the way they described it. It was a David and Goliath scenario. That's where it comes from. I grew up in church and showed up all the time, and this story just showed up all the time. It showed up in Sunday school on flannel graph stories. How many of you actually know what a flannel graph story is? Hands up. Oh, pray for you. Okay, I'm going to... One of these days, I'm actually going to do that in a service just for the fun so the rest of you know what it is, okay? But it showed up in sermons and flannel graph and Sunday school. And I've always just kind of kept in my mind all the lessons that I was taught about David and Goliath in church. I listed some of the content there for you. I remember being taught in Sunday school, be a giant killer. You can take on the giants of life and win because you're a champion. You're awesome. You're fantastic. I remember be your own champion. That was the theme all the way through. You're a winner. You're you're a promise. You're a possibility. You're a great big bundle of potentiality. You're amazing. Some of you remember that song, don't you? Yeah? You know, I remember being taught, just be prepared. That's the point. There's lions, and then there's bears, and then there's giants, and they're all waiting for you. So be careful. I remember an entire message that was entitled, Carry Stones, because you never know when you're going to face a giant. And the guy spent an entire message making the case that the reason that that David took five stones is because Goliath had four brothers, and you needed to be prepared. Now, there is a chapter a little bit later on in the book that talks about four other warriors of Gath, but you got to draw some pretty thick lines to make that argument. I just don't think it's the point. I remember being taught that you need to wear armor that fits and be true to yourself. It was all about your character and your holiness and your ability to be able to overcome the odds. I remember being taught you need to know your real enemy because everyone has a Saul. 
And they made the villain Saul, the future king of Israel, not the, the actual king of Israel instead of Goliath, this Philistine. I remember learning this, giants are everywhere and you need to go get them before they get you. I remember this one, the battle belongs to the Lord. Okay, that's actually a good one coming out of the story of David and Goliath. And the reality is this, you can learn some unbelievably practical lessons about preparation and faith and obedience. They're all there. But I, I want to come at this from a bit of a different angle. I mean, I figure if you guys forsake 90 degree weather to come inside, I'm going to try and make it worth your time and give you something fresh, okay? Because I want you to notice something. Can you just go back and do me a favor and kind of re-look over that content? Because there's a theme that runs through all of it. And I, I want to know whether or not you can just kind of pick it up. Do you notice that the theme in all of the content is you? It's you. You're a champion. You're a winner. You're awesome. You can take on giants. They're waiting for you on Monday, but they're nothing in front of you. You know, you, 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 you should be prepared. You've got enemies. You should play a harp. You need good armor. I mean, it's all about you. Do you know there's a fancy name for that in the theological world? It's called narcissistic eisegesis. Don't say you didn't learn some fancy words in, at church today, okay? Narcissistic eisegesis. And, and, and I put this in your outline to explain it. When you put yourself in a Bible story and you're always the hero, you tend to miss the point. Okay? We all love to make ourselves the hero, right? We want to walk out of here going, I'm David and I can kill a giant. I'm Joshua. I can take on any Jericho in the world. I'm Noah. My faith is so big, I'd build a boat bigger than the one Noah did. I'm the hero. Now, don't get me wrong. I think these three people that I just talked about are amazing examples of faith and obedience and courage. But the reality is this. Bible stories are not about us. It's not about us. When we make the Bible about us, I really believe we miss the most important point of what Scripture is trying to tell us. Let me give you an example. I preached a message here a couple of months ago about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I told the story of how a man was on his way to Jericho, just like Pastor Brian talked about last week, and how a group of robbers caught him and beat him and stole him and stripped him and they left him for dead on the side of a road. And a group of religious people, they all walked by and they looked at the guy, but they just thought, I'm not going to get my hands dirty. It's just too messy. So they crossed and they walked around him and ignored the pain and the hurt that he was in. And Jesus explains that a man who was actually culturally disqualified from getting involved in the story at all, he, he actually sees the man and takes pity on him. And he comes to him and he, and, and he binds up his wounds and he takes him to a safe place. And he gets other people involved in the care. And then he, and he picks up the tab for the entire thing. And then he actually says, I want you to look after him. I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back and I'll check on him. And, the, and then, I mean, it's just this beautiful story of care and compassion. And I remember that I'm telling the story and people in all of the services are just checking out all over the room. They're checking out because like, it's, I know the point of the Good Samaritan. The point of the Good Samaritan is do nice things for people. Be the Good Samaritan. That's the point. We're supposed to be nice things, do nice things, because that makes God happy. We get it. Grant, move on. And it got so quiet in this room when I said, just so everybody's clear, you're not the Good Samaritan. I'm not the Good Samaritan. 
We're the man in the road. We got beat up by sin and left for dead. And people would just walk by us because we were just a little too messy and a little too broken. But Jesus walked by, and he's not culturally cool at all. And he saw us and took pity on us, and he took us to a safe place, the place of grace and redemption and forgiveness, and he healed our wounds, and he picked up the tab for the whole thing and then promised he'd come back and get us. We're not the good Samaritan. We're the man in the road. We're the, we're the broken guy. Now, does that mean we're not supposed to do nice things? No, it just changes the focus. The reason we're supposed to go out there and do those beautiful Samaritan things, the good Samaritan things, is because of the inspiration of the guy who did it for us. We're supposed to do it because Jesus did it. He's the example. He's the hero in the story, and we're following him. I mean, the point of all Scripture is Jesus. It's not us. The point of David and Goliath is that we're not David. We don't win every time. The story's not about us. And when we make it about us, there's a problem with that approach, okay? Here's what's next in your outline. Because if you're David, what do you do with 2 Samuel 21, 15 through 17? If you're David and you're the hero, when you get to that chapter, what do you do with yourself? Because in that chapter, David goes to a battle and gets his butt kicked. In fact, people have to come in and try and save them. He becomes a liability. In fact, the decisions made, David, you don't get to go out and fight anymore because you're a liability on the war effort. I'm having a conversation with a group of guys this week. We're talking about David and Goliath. And this one brave young man actually pipes up and says, I, you know, I know we're supposed to, you know, we're the champion, but what do you do when your rocks miss? In that real life? I mean, I don't know about you, but every once in a while, man, I put one in there and I let it fly and I just, I miss. Now I know you are the holy group of 1137. I know nobody here has ever missed anything because you guys are like, you come to church when it's 90 degrees, you know? Wow, awesome. But, but in that life, I mean, this week I, I let a couple of faith rocks fly and the reality is I missed the target completely. You know how I know that? Because I had to go back and apologize when I missed. What do you do when you miss? I mean, let me just get to the point here. Here's the point of David and Goliath. It's a historical account of David's faith and how God supernaturally intervened for his glory. That's the point of the story of David and Goliath. The point is not that David's a hero and he won. It's not the point. The point is God won the battle. He used David. I mean, the reality is this. David, in his own strength, he's a giant splat mark on the Valley of Elah. He's a little shepherd kid. He's got a sling and a rock, and he's facing a nine-foot giant. I mean, the reality is David didn't win the battle. God won the battle on David's behalf. And that's the beautiful part of it, because we've got to make sure that we get God in the right role in this story. I mean, David even said it. He said, this is going to happen so that the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. He doesn't say, this, this story is going to happen so I can be the hero of bedtime stories for the next couple of centuries. He didn't say, this is going to happen so that everybody would go, wow, David. 
Now there's a man after, wow, that guy, that guy's a hero. No, this happened. David even says it so that people, the whole world would know that there is a God in Israel. So have we got God in the right place in the story? David's not the hero. We're not David. We're not the hero. The hero in the story is God in the center of it. So now that we got God in the right place, what are the lessons from David and Goliath that we can apply to our own lives? Let's start with the first one. God uses small people for big purposes. He uses a little insignificant guy to use faith and obedience to live out courage so that God through him could triumph over top of a nine-foot giant and send an incredibly clear message about faith and obedience to the people of Israel. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Just listen to the words and kind of let them soak into your heart. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things. Do you remember back to the story? What was the emotional response of Goliath when he saw David coming towards him? The Bible said that he did what? He despised him. And God's like, of course he did. Because I use little people for big purposes. Okay? Let's continue on. The things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you're in Christ Jesus who's come before us, wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. I love this. God uses a small person for his glory. He uses a small and significant human being to show everybody that was watching that this was not David's fight. This was not David's battle. This was God's battle. David actually says it. He says, this battle belongs to the Lord. I don't come against you in my own strength. I come against you in the name of the God Almighty who has limitless power to conquer you. I mean, that's the kind of talk we're talking about here. So tomorrow, let's just be honest. Some of you have some nine-foot challenges. They're not six-footers. You've got some nine-foot challenges coming. My question to you is this. Based on the example of what God did through David, are you going to go after those challenges in your name and your strength? Or in God's name and God's strength? If you go after them in yours, I will promise you something. You'll win every once in a while. But if you win, your tendency will be to do this. <laughs> Look what I did. I did that. I'm good, aren't I? I'm a good leader. I'm a good manager. I'm a good employee. I'm a good husband. I'm a good person. And we just get all wrapped up in this whole thing. And Scripture screams to us in that moment, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So in whose name are you going to go out? to fight this week. Which brings us to this next little lesson. It's so clear. My victories are not mine. They're God's. When I actually hit it, it's God's glory that's important. Listen to these words from Ephesians chapter 1. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and his will. Okay, if you've got a pen, underline the next phrase. If you've got an app, highlight it, okay? 
to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one that he loves. Let's just come back to that and camp there for a bit. To the praise of his glorious grace. Everything in your life is done to the praise of his glorious grace. If you just took a breath into your lungs, you didn't do that. God did it for you to the praise of his glorious grace. If you woke up today and God gave you the gift of today to use, it is being done for the specific purpose to bring glory and honor to the praise of his glorious grace. Everything in your life is done to the praise of his glorious grace. The defeat of Goliath was to the praise of his glorious grace. David's involvement was to the praise of his glorious grace. The creation, the flood, the parting of the Red Sea, the triumph of Jericho was all accomplished for the praise of his glorious grace. It was not done so that we could cheer for Adam and Noah and Moses and David. And the result of your week is not so that you can bring honor and glory to yourself because God said, if you're going to boast, you better be boasting in Jesus, which means this. If you get a raise this week, it's to the praise of his glorious grace. If you're blessed with a demotion this week, It's to the praise of his glorious grace. If your car starts tomorrow morning, it's to the praise of his glorious grace. If your house is 103 degrees tonight when you're trying to sleep, it's to the praise of his glorious grace. Your church is air-conditioned to the praise of his glorious grace. The fact that you're alive is to the praise of his glorious grace. And it's so easy on the good stuff to go, yes, Grant, amen. Listen to me and stick with me now, okay? If you're healthy today, it's to the praise of his glorious grace. If you're sick, it's still to the praise of his glorious grace because there is no powerful witness than when a follower of Jesus can praise the name of Jesus when they're in pain. If you get your healing, it's to the praise of his glorious grace. If he asks you to wait, it's to the praise of his glorious grace. It's just so easy in the one category, isn't it? But when that nine-footer is standing right in front of you, it's hard to remember. Goliath was there in the valley that day to the praise of his glorious grace. Let's add another huge lesson. Hopefully you've already arrived at this conclusion, but let me just unpack it. I'm not David. Neither are you. I'm one of the Israelites, and so are you. I mean, when I look at the story, I'd love to put myself in the hero role and say, yeah, man, I'm a champion. I'm a giant killer. So that's not me on Monday morning. I'm an Israelite on Monday morning. I'm hiding on the side of the hill going, I don't want to go out there. That big thing's going to kill me. I don't want to have to face any of these challenges. I'm going to go to a coffee shop and ask questions. Because I'm, <laughs> I'm scared. I don't want to balance a budget in summertime. That's hard. That's a nine-foot problem. I'm just going to stay up here on the side of the hill and hope somebody else goes out and fights it. 
not my job. It's Todd's job, you know. <laughs> He's big. Okay, so. I mean, l- l- let's just look at it, right? We're not David. We're one of the Israelites. We're scared. And when we're scared, we're tempted to run back to our old way of life because we just can say, this is no longer fun. And, you know, I, I'm scared. And in the bottom of our heart, we end up praying such an incredible prayer. It's like, I'm scared. And, and God, I just, I need you to send somebody to help me. Here comes the good news. Okay, are you ready for some good news? This is where it gets awesome. When I was lost and broken in my sin and had absolutely no hope for eternity, for the rest of eternity, I cried out to God for a champion and he sent one. The people of Israel were crying out for a champion and God sent one. If you, in your need, in your brokenness, and by the way, we're all broken, cry out for a champion, the best news for you today is God already sent one. He sent one. I mean, I love the fact that Jesus intervened in my life and defeated the giant of sin and death. When I put my faith in Jesus, I accepted his victory and he gets the glory for the salvation and the deliverance that he brought into my life that he provided through his death on the cross and his resurrection. I mean, this is the beauty of the story of David and Goliath. Israel was losing and needed a champion and God sent one. And here's the beautiful thing about the story of David and Goliath for us. We were all losing and we needed a champion and God sent one sent one. I mean, if you don't walk out of anything with anything else today, I hope you'll walk out of the church saying this. I don't need to be a champion because I already have one. This is not about your effort this coming week. And I know some of you got some huge things. I hope you can be encouraged with this truth. You don't need to be the hero this week. You already have one. One person said it's good, okay? The rest of you, I'm going to keep convincing you because this is it, all right? Do you know how unbelievably beautiful it is to realize that, that this is not about you this coming week? Do you know how amazing it is to be able to sit back and say, I'm just being like the champion of my soul. Jesus loved and touched people. I'm going to love and touch people. Jesus healed and and, and reached out to the most broken. That's what I'm going to do because I don't need to be the hero. I'm just following the example of my hero. I don't need to be in the center of the story. Jesus already is. And anything that I do this week that's good will be to the praise of of his glorious grace. Do you know how beautiful it is to understand that the only thing that's good in any of us is Jesus? Here's the last one. One more lesson. His victory, meaning God's victory, allows me to be like David, a redeemed sinner and a man after God's own heart. The Bible tells us a lot about David's life, just a ton just a ton. Yeah, I mean, it's just an amazing, beautiful, and wonderful story as it's woven together. But the deal goes like this. If you read all of David's life, 
it goes like this. It starts really good with the giant part, and then it kind of goes downhill from there. It's just the reality. I mean, David is. He's a giant killer. He was also a peeping Tom, a lousy father, and was involved in a conspiracy to commit murder. Here's the beautiful thing about David's life. David, in the midst of his brokenness, kept coming back to his champion. He kept coming back to his hero. He admitted when he got it wrong, he asked that the Lord would forgive him and the Lord in his grace allowed a man who really messed up a lot to still be named as a man after God's own If you read the Psalms, David's songs, from that perspective, it's so beautiful. One of my favorite Psalms, David asks the question, he goes, when I'm in the depths, God was there. When I was on the top of the mountain, God was there. Everywhere in between, God was there. No matter where I went, I couldn't escape from his presence. If David was here today, I think he would say this to you. If you're running from God, stop. You can't get away from him. He loves you too much. His presence is all-encompassing. He will follow you to the ends of the earth in order to draw you to himself. I also believe if David was here today and he knew that we were talking about the, the beautiful story of David and Goliath, I think if David was here right now, he would do this. I think he would go like this. I believe he'd say this, don't look at me. I was just an Israeli shepherd kid. I didn't do anything. I was just the tool that God used. Don't look at me, look at him. Look at him because he was my champion and he wants to do the same thing for you. Do you know that the same God who supernaturally intervened for an Israeli shepherd boy would love nothing more than to do that for you tomorrow? or this afternoon, or tonight? Do you know that the same power is available? Do you know that the same God is there? Do you know that the same Lord who accomplished great things in David's life would love to be able to do the same for you so that you could see how beautiful it is when something comes out of your life to the praise of His glorious grace? So when you walk out of here today and somebody say, what'd you learn in church? Tell them, I learned I do not need to be a champion. And when they get that really weird look on their face, make sure you add the second part. I don't need to be a champion because I already have one. And he seems to have no problem taking on nine-foot problems and winning every single time. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? So we're going to pray right now. And I don't know about you, but this is, you know, I hear that. And yet I still find myself trying to prepare myself for the battles of the week. So can we take a moment before we get ready to transition in the service? And can can we have a David moment? In a few moments, we're going to pray together. And I just want to encourage you, whatever battle you're facing, would you give it to him right now? 
Would you tell God, I'm going to take my hands off. I'm going to take a step back. If you want to use me, it's to the praise of your glorious grace, but I'm going to start this week by giving the battle back to you because the battle belongs to the Lord. I have no idea what it is. It could be your kids. It could be sickness. It could be a job situation. But whatever that nine-foot problem is, I want you to remember you've got a bigger God. And you don't need to be the champion because he already is. So would you please bow your head and close your eyes and let's just take a moment in the quietness of our heart just to give the battles back to Jesus right now. God, we just hand them all over to you. The three-foot problems, the six-foot problems, the nine-foot problems, and the twelve. We give the battle back to you because the battle belongs to the Lord. We pray, God, that your victory would be our victory, not so we can get glory for ourselves, but so that the whole world will know there's a God in Israel. Lord, thank you for using David, an insignificant little guy who in faith and obedience stepped out with courage and you did a miracle for him. I pray that we would have his courage, his hope, and his passion. But Lord, I pray that we would never ever forget that David's not the hero of the story. You are. And we're not the hero of our story. You are. So may you be our vision this week. May you be our passion and our hope. May you be our joy. God, may we paint Whatcom County with the beautiful story of your grace. We give you all glory, all honor, all praise, because you are the hero, you are the champion, and we follow you. In Jesus' precious and holy name, and all God's people said, amen and amen.